Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we will be continuing our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Brian Kealoha, the Executive Director of Hawaii Energy. Aloha, Brian. Aloha. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us. Uh, before we begin, let me just share a little bit more about Brian. He has been involved in the industry sector for over 20 years. Brian began his career developing and implementing energy programs with various utilities, including Pacific Gas and Electric, Avista Utilities, and Maui Electric Company. When the Hawaii Clean Initiative Energy Initiative was established in 2008, Brian launched and managed the Hawaii Division of Chevron Energy Solutions. Under his leadership, Hawaii became the highest revenue-producing region in the United States. In 2016, Brian left to become the executive director of Hawaii Energy and lead the program's evolution to better serve Hawaii's families and businesses in reducing energy use and carbon emissions. So we are going to dive right in. And um, Brian, if you can give me a little bit of background on yourself. Sure. And maybe family too, if you want. Oh, of course. So I was I was born here on Oahu. Um and I went to elementary school at Ainahaina, actually spent a couple of years at Iolani. And at that point, my dad was working for the Hawaiian Electric Company, which I think is part of where all of this started for me. <laughs> and uh, he had got this big promotion to move to Maui. So we ended up moving to Maui right when I was in eighth grade. And at that point, I ended up going to St. Anthony on Maui and graduated from St. Anthony um, and then from there, I went on to college at Gonzaga University, uh, got my degree in economics and, and marketing, and then ended up getting my master's and worked up there for a while. And I love the Northwest, but I wanted to come home. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what brought me home to uh, Maui, Maui Electric and then into other roles from there. Awesome. So maybe a little bit about your family, because everybody sure. always loves to hear a little more of the personal side of some of the executives. For sure. Um, so uh, married with two kids. Uh, I met my wife, Sasha, up in Spokane when we were up there, when I was up there in Washington. Where is she from? She's from the Northwest. Her family, well, she graduated from high school in uh, Idaho, but she grew up in Oregon. So she kind of moved around the Northwest area. And uh, we met after college, but we were working at the same utility. Oh, so is she in the same industry as well? She was at yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, since then, her, her full-time profession, well, for a long time, was just uh, being at home with the kids and awesome. making sure that they were in a good place. And then recently, she returned and has been working. First, she was volunteering, and then she started work, working at Anaheim Elementary doing teaching reading and things of that nature and how old are your kids so my son's 14 he's a freshman he's completing his freshman year at Kalani and my daughter's 12 she just finished yesterday her sixth grade year at Sacred Heart so she's moving on up (laughs) she's excited what what personalities do they have my son is very happy-go-lucky easygoing but big kind heart uh, very friendly uh jokester comedian yeah <laughs> uh, my daughter is very much straight and narrow by the rules um, works hard wants to be the best at everything um, but also very caring and loving I'm, I'm very fortunate i have two very awesome. loving and compassionate children well now that we kind of dove into that what do you do for fun <laughs> when i do have some free time i love playing basketball 
Awesome. Um, I usually play at least two times a week. Uh, I try to get in three runs if I can. Awesome. And then just anything else outside. My son loves to surf. My daughter likes to bodyboard. So anytime we can make it to the beach, that's a priority as well. Yeah, I did bodyboarding up until I just located my shoulder doing yeah. bodyboarding. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of stopped after that. It's but That's I, exactly what happened with me too. Yeah, <laughs> I, was short break. I was short break. I was in Maui actually. Oh. Yeah. So, but anyways, that's another time, another story. (laughs) (laughs) But anyhow, so um, I know that you mentioned that your dad was working for Hiko. So um, how exactly did you get into the energy field on your own? I mean, was it just something that you stumbled into or you're really passionate about it? At the time, it was something I I stumbled into for way of history, my grandfather on my dad's side. So my dad's dad actually worked his whole career at Hawaiian Electric, Um, my Dad worked his whole career at Hawaiian Electric slash Molly Electric. Yes, we're related to Thomas Edison. No. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, we brought electricity to Hawaii. No. Uh, so that was kind of, I would say, in my blood, but I didn't really see what my dad did. I wasn't. I never went to work with him very much. I wouldn't say I was really that in tune with what he was doing, other than just knowing that you know, electricity powers what mm-hmm. we do, and it was important. Um, I got my degree in, in marketing and economics at one point thought about going into engineering and, because that was an area where, as we look at the energy field, you know, being an engineer is really useful, yeah. but I found that I didn't really, it wasn't my calling. I, I found engineering not to be what my strengths were. And mm-hmm. so that's why I moved into economics and marketing. And, but really what happened was I interned at the utility up there in Spokane while I was going to school because I thought, well, you know, Hawaii's all about connections and my dad definitely knows people at the utility. So mm-hmm. if that's my first job back, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. And yeah. then I'm working for the utility up in Spokane, uh, marketing and implementing some of their energy efficiency programs. And that's when I started to learn about efficiency and how can we use less energy? Mm-hmm. And there was a fun dynamic to that around marketing, which was my degree. So I, it was a perfect marriage, and uh, then the opportunity obviously came to go back to Hawaii, and it was with Maui Electric. And just kind of just from job to job, I stayed in the industry. The more years that I had, I found that was my experience. But it really wasn't until I got out of the utilities and into the private sector, and then ultimately here, where we were actually doing project work to mm-hmm. see the impact of not only what it has to that individual organization and how much they save and how they can foster in their mission or within their business, but also just the impact it's having on our, on our environment and our climate. Yeah. It's so important now. And so I went from this being a job to being a passion, but it was awesome. never planned that way. Well, sometimes it's just the passion finds you, right? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people know Hawaii energy, but I think a lot of people don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also get it confused with, he go. Right. So maybe you can just give a little um, breakdown sure. for people so they understand the difference. Yeah. Right. So Hawaii Energy, we help people save money on their electric bill. That's the core of what we do. Our mission is to help people save money, make smart energy choices, and help pursue 100% clean energy future. So within that, we offer programs and services to help people reduce how they're using energy with the equipment that they have in their house or in their businesses or being or learning about what are the ways that they can change their operations or their behavior to use less energy. So that's our core focus is really to help people reduce their electrical spend because when we reduce what we use, 
that means that's less generation we have to produce. And when you think about the 100% as a fraction, we're trying to get that denominator as low as possible. And then we build to the numerator. Yeah. Okay. So where did it start? Hawaii Energy? Yes. So it started in 2009. It was part, oh, sorry, 2008 was the formulation of the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative, which set into motion the energy efficiency portfolio standard. So within statute, it says Hawaii shall reach uh, a savings of 4,300 gigawatt hours by 2030. So a lot of energy needed to be saved, basically. Where are we on that? Do we you are, have a number? We do. We do. I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but in terms of tracking, there was they just did a report. They do a report every five years and on this where gets, we are. Does this get dropped into Hawaii Green Growth's tracking it does. system? It absolutely okay. does. Um, it's the report has to go to the legislature from the PC on where we are on this. And I'll, I'll share why that, okay. that collection is yeah. there. But um, essentially, we have to get to 4,300. Where we are now is that we're ahead of pace. Well, that's good. Yes, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but we're ahead of where we need to be. And based on the potential studies that they do, we can exceed that. So this is all positive. Hawaii is actually in a really good place when it comes to energy efficiency. Uh, so anyway, back in 2008, the statute was formulated what they also realized was they needed a mechanism to be able to make sure the state achieves this standard and so what they did was they set up what they called the public benefits fee administrator which is what hawaii energy is by its technical title and statute to collect revenue that comes off the electric bill and use it specifically to help customers residents and businesses of hawaii find ways to reduce their energy usage and so in 2009 that's when hawaii energy was created we operate under contract with the Public Utilities Commission. So they administer the public benefits fee administrator, which is us, and they, they essentially fund us for the effort that we do. And then from there, we use that funding to provide incentives. So if you go and buy an energy-efficient equipment, say it's Costco or Sears you or wherever you go, there. get your money back there, right, exactly. So what we're trying to do is if you're looking at two pieces of equipment, if, if the more efficient piece of equipment costs more, we're trying to close that gap. You yeah. may not close it fully, but your return on investment should be pretty good because you also have all the energy savings. Too. Yeah, when you look at what you're saving, then hopefully the, the number comes out for you right. in, in the long run. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, okay, now we have the understanding of the difference between you guys and Eco, <laughs> because I think a lot of people get it mixed up. Um, and I usually like to... Um, give a more of an educational piece to people that are, I would say, green to green. That's right. my uh, new tagline that I've been using. <laughs> so people have a better understanding of things and then they don't have to go research a whole bunch just to listen to what we're saying. Right. <laughs> um, that's the another thing too. So um, I did have the pleasure of meeting Brian at our um, YP Exec Connect, which was the Chamber of Commerce's Young Professionals Program lunch that they have every month. And um, we had a very interesting discussion, I feel, at our at our lunch because we had about nine or ten YPs there. And then we had Brian speaking with us. And um, more, majority of everybody was from Hawaii, I would say, except for there was one someone from San Francisco. Right. And um, I really wanted to cover this on the podcast because – um, what I realize right now is that it's great that we have uh, Hawaii Energy and we have a lot of incentives to move forward with being more efficient and being more sustainable and helping 
everybody out um, so we can be better for Hawaii. Um, I'm just a little concerned that it's going to start to move towards um, it just being a standard and then we won't get all these benefits and it may even be moved towards tax and cost. So um, with that in mind, you know, to hear what other places are doing. So if you want, yeah, what, sure. what did you think about that? So we had someone that was from San Francisco where things are already in policy and, and in place, right? Mm-hmm. So by law, things already happen. And she kind of grew up with a lot of this happening already. And the way they live is very different than the way we live because we don't have these policies in place. So what did you think of that when sure. she, she spoke versus, I guess, us? <laughs> <laughs> it was... Um... It was refreshing to see, I think, her personal perspective on how that was all she knew, right? Like the world of recycling, being sustainable, being energy efficient wasn't even in her thought process because that's naturally what she did. And she didn't realize that she was doing all of these things until she came here. And when it wasn't required, it was really eye-opening, like, well, how come we don't have this? Why don't we have two places, the recycling bin and the trash? And why don't... Why are we using more energy efficient equipment? So it was really interesting to see it from a user perspective where nobody has, where, where they never had the choice to do otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, from our perspective, I, we are very big advocates around energy codes. We just this past year, the legislature and hopefully Governor Ige will sign into um, law HB 556, which is appliance standard. So that elevates the level of minimum efficiency of appliances that got sold or brought into the state. Because a lot of our work is even if you set very high standards and we, we actually achieve them and there's 100% compliance, that's still not always the most efficient unit that's out there, right? So there's still room for us to gain efficiency. And we can spend our money, right, to when we're driving efficiency, instead of trying to get the incremental gain from 60% to 80%, we can spend that money to get from the 80% to the most efficient piece of equipment. Yeah. If the standard is higher from the get-go, then yes. Exactly. And so it's for, from a cost-effective standpoint, as well as a, you know, it's going to happen standpoint, that's where codes and standards can be really effective in raising the bar. And as we look at what's happening across, you know, across the world and, and every report that comes out on climate change and, we can't continue to operate as business as usual, and we need to start to take steps. That there's a different type of return um, that we need to start investing in yeah. that goes beyond just pure dollars. But that being said, and that's the beauty, I think, of energy. And you know, sustainability is much broader than energy. But at least within the energy pie and energy efficiency, there's a return on investment. This is the kind of things that people should be doing today, regardless of that, because yeah. they're going to see a nice return. Yeah. So in the energy sector, I think. It's the most progressive when it comes to like the return and and how um, innovative they're being because it's creating a whole bunch of products that the consumer is is buying you know consistently obviously and it makes sense for them and then they're getting just man the technology and how fast and forward everything's going is because of all of the things that you guys are doing I think you know we wouldn't. I think a lot of people wouldn't have solar. Like, it's crazy. I can't, I just was listening to a podcast on how, I don't even remember the numbers. I should probably have these numbers down. But I think um, back in the day when the president, um, Clinton, when he put in this whole solar initiative and everything, I think we've hit um, 
that one million mm-hmm. yeah. solar is that what it was? It was a one million solar, and then they anticipate in like the next what four years or something small that we were going to hit two million, mm-hmm. which is amazing, you know, especially knowing that Hawaii solar is actually something that we can use. You know, right. um, we're pro- I think with the second state um, in the U.S. that uses, you know, well I think we're first in rooftop. Probably, yeah. Like per capita. Yeah. Per capita, sure. per capita, sure. yeah. But I think for an industry Overall. standard, like we are probably that that really heavy hitter. Like they're going to come, they come to us. Um, they're putting boots to the ground, you know, places here because they know this is longevity for their, their career and their business. Right. Whereas, you know, obviously we're not water necessarily. Some places have dams and stuff and that's how they make their energy. Right. But um, anyhow... Now that we are diving into this, I think the one thing I was just really trying to take from that perspective is um, I think the next step is policy. You know, I think right now we're at a place where you're saying where we can be more efficient, I think, if certain standards are raised. And I think across the board, that's what we're doing. So um, I'm glad. Is there certain initiatives that Hawaii Energy puts down or the energy is there a group that, so how did that bill come about and, sure. and everything? So there's a couple of different areas within appliance standards. Uh, it was really, I think, a lot of the, the energy um, energy advocates that were out there. So Blue Planet Foundation was one of the big supporters behind the bill and led a lot of the charge. But, uh, you know, other supporters included Elemental Accelerator. Uh, we had to obviously get the various uh, state agencies on board with that. So the Public Utilities Commission and the uh, Department of Consumer Consumer and Commerce, Commerce and Consumer Affairs were big advocates supporting, uh, offering testimony and support. Obviously, our state energy office. So we needed to have the state agencies along with uh, you know other outside groups to move the things like appliance standards along. The other big piece for us is there's energy codes right, that go into building codes. Yes. And so right now we're in the process of, as a state, well I should say, twenty fifth. There's the 2015 International Energy Conservation Code that was signed into law by Governor Ige about two years ago. And when it was signed into law, that made all state buildings have to build to that 2015 code. Of? State, only it, state buildings themselves. Is that lead? Sorry, no, no, it's, it's just the International Energy Conservation Code. So it's a, it's a standard of just energy. And that's, that's 2015. 2015. The code is 2015. It was signed two years ago, so it was signed in 2017. Okay. Um, So Governor Ige signed it. It became law. Then the counties have two years to then adopt it or it becomes law as is. So the counties then get the opportunity to tweak it a little bit around their particular parameters of what's happening. So we're going to be like close to 10 years behind (laughs) the actual code 2015 by the time things actually are in place? Well, you hit it on a very key point. I do want to come back to that because I think that's that's very important. So to give you some perspective, this code update, the 2015, we were updating the from a 2006 code. Yeah. So what happens is this code is updated updated every three years. So we went through 2009, 2012. We never updated it in here in the state. So we were operating off of 2006 until this was signed. So for for us at the time, it was a big deal because we needed to at least make that leap. Technology had had you know grown and improved so much over that yeah. decade um so the counties now various Maui county has adopted it uh, the county of Kauai has adopted it the city and county of honolulu is going through their hearings to adopt the code 
very positive. But the point I want to come back to that you were making is it was a heavy lift to get this code approved at the state level. We had to work with the state building code council and they were very helpful, um, you know, in, in guidance to the process and raising all the concerns. Uh, we jointly formed uh, an energy group within the state building code council that's more informal, but would talk about these issues around energy. But the thing is, whether it was at the state level or all of these county hearings, it is a major lift of all the parties, both on the county and the state side, from administering the codes and enforcing the codes to the effort to, to get it adopted, that a lot of our conversation now is how and do we make this, this continual? On, on the state <clears throat> buildings. Well, now, once it goes after that, it's all coming. So anything, if you go and build a, a new residence or so now it's commercial, yeah, when the county is adopted, then anybody going into for a building permit. We'll so where to. are we at with our county? Almost there. Sorry, yeah. I mean, City and County of Honolulu um, is almost there. They've um, It's been presented and they're working through the hearings now to get it approved. Um, but the point that you are making that I think is so important is we need to find a way to have in our system a continual update of the code. So when the next version of the code is released, we're not spending years trying to adopt that code. Yeah. It, you know, we need to have some kind of functionality built into our city ordinances or our state Like it law. just happens. Right. right. And when the next iteration of this code is, is passed and approved on an international level, we're going to adopt that version within 12 months or whatever it is, right, yeah. uh, to give people time to adopt. So does that go in, I don't know if you know these, this answer, but um, if we are up to code, I guess it's more on the federal level, right, then... Um, that that opens doors for federal funding on certain things, like do maybe we get extra opportunities uh, to apply for perhaps. federal funding. Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm I know that familiar. federal buildings as well, they so, all have to be to mm-hmm. the code and they are built a certain ways. That's why right. I guess DC when it comes to who builds the most LEED certified anything, it's right. it's whoever's building federally because they have to build right to that standard. And then they're getting all of those buildings done, I guess. But right, yeah. And from an overall perspective, because I'm really, unfortunately, just diving a little too far into energy. But as you talk about lead, right, that's a whole nother measurement of, yeah. of a number of factors that's going into the um, the economic. But uh, that the, has standards, too, for, for sure. the appliances oh, yeah. are already yeah. have to be with yeah. what you guys are right. probably applauding. <laughs> no, exactly. There, there's, there's, there's that piece. So I, to your point, I think the, the more robust um, building codes and standards that we have around sustainable products and, and environmental friendly products and, and really dying, driving that into whether it's lead certification or whatever it may be, um, we need to do that because once we raise that bar, then all of our work to take the bar higher, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. And I know the other mm-hmm. side, which ends up becoming um, a hurdle, is just the cost, cost. of build. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there's, it's just a give and take. We got to figure out something, but we can't just stay where we are. So I know that. <laughs> no, again, I think again, that's from a business as usual standpoint, we can't continue to operate that way. And I, I'm hopeful that beyond from a business perspective, you know, all of us are employees. Well, many of us are employees for, for somebody in somewhere. Right. And from that perspective, we have a voice. What, what, what are the buildings that we want to be spending a good chunk of our days in? And, you know, we need to be voicing that and we can help drive change in that way, too, so that we're at fully employment right now Mm -hmm. and employers want to retain their employees. So how can we 
leverage that to be like, here's some of the expectations that we want from our company. We want them to make uh, you know, investments into sustainability to make my workplace comfortable and, and open and free and energy efficient. You know, those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things that I think we need to be. Because it's becoming now. a value, I Absolutely. think, or a, a person that's coming into, you know, their, this is their lifestyle now. It's the way they want to live right. or they expect to live, you right. know. So it's now, I guess, they start to be very disappointed for example if they walk into a restaurant that serves local food and then it's packaged in a styrofoam container probably they are not too happy about that (laughs) you know because yeah yeah. (laughs) so you know i think that just this it's what the the whole change and movement is all about and you know this one here we're focusing on energy so moving on to some of the projects that you guys work at work on or some of the programs i was looking um so i know that you help you know people when you have your own appliances um could you explain a little bit more what you do with businesses sure. i did see something in multifamily program mm-hmm. which i was not aware of so maybe yeah. you can explain those absolutely um i'll start with our our small business program, because I think that's one that if you're a small business and you haven't participated, I really want to encourage you to do so because it's a, it's a great program. We realize that small businesses are the backbone of our economy, but most small business owners are so worried about the day-to-day operations of their business that thinking about energy is obviously not their focus. And so we've developed a specific program called Energy Advantage. And what we do is we try to make this a lot more turnkey for uh, our customers rather than them having to do a lot of work. So a contractor will come in and they'll show them what the energy savings will be. They'll do an audit. They'll put together the whole proposal. And then we provide significant incentives. So, again, if you fall into the small business category, which is either um, a Hawaiian Electric rate schedule G, which is their small category, or... Um, restaurants, there's a couple other designations that are in this uh, small business classification. Our incentives are much higher than what we offer to larger business because, again, we want to get the small businesses participating. So to find out more, you can, there's a lot more information on our website, but it's a it's an excellent program. So if you're a small business, you haven't done it, got to do it. Okay, well, I definitely will put that on the to-do list because um, part of what I do is Smart Living Hawaii is working and supporting our small business um, industries. It's it's a tough one, but we need it, and it's so hard to do business in startups here. So right. whatever we can do to help them, I'm on board. For sure. So, um, and then what else, the other programs that you have? Yeah, so we have a number of, and then maybe round out the commercial side, uh-huh. we have a number of other programs that it, basically if you're using energy in any way, shape, or form, whatever the equipment might be, whether it's your lighting, your air conditioning system, uh, your swimming pool pumps, whatever it might be, we have some type of program to encourage you to go to a more efficient equipment that's doing whatever that is. So more efficient light, more efficient water heating, you need it. Um, so if you have any questions, that's where come to our website, call. Uh, we have energy advisors that are happy to work with you and try to figure out how we can save you money. So everybody, the great thing is everybody can participate in some way, shape, or form, Yeah. business or resident. And you guys are like the happy people because you're giving money away. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like your jobs are a little bit easier than some others in these sectors <laughs> because you're able, it's it's a win-win. You're, it's a win-win situation. And, you know, everybody loves to say, 
oh, I'm going to get money back? That's awesome. You're going to do this. It's almost like it's free almost. Right, right. <laughs> Why didn't I do this a long time ago? You know, kind of a thing. For sure. So, um, do you have, could you explain what you do on the multifamily program? Absolutely. So part of the, our multifamily offering, and it's actually going to be expanding even more. So our program cycle runs from July 1st to June 30th. And we just filed our plan earlier this month with the Public Utilities Commission for the next three-year cycle. And one of the areas we're going to be investing a little bit more on is within the, well, the bucket that we call accessibility and affordability. But basically, we have a lot of Alice families that are out there. And if you're not familiar with Alice, it's the Law United Way's uh, designation of asset-limited, income-constrained, but employed. So it's not it's not people that are not employed. They're just struggling to make ends meet, which is, and they're, by their um, their study, that's over half of our population here in Hawaii is designated as a as an Alice household because of the cost of living here. So we're building specific programs and a lot of them will be targeted multifamily, but not only multifamily, um, where we're going to, what we do is we go in and we do direct install. So basically in these multifamily um, areas, we'll come in, we'll change out the shower heads, we'll change out the lights, the LED, um, we'll put in a smart, smart power strip. And we'll change out the aerators so you use less water because a lot of times if you're using less water, that's less hot water too. Yeah, yeah. All this is for free. We come in, we do it for you. All you have to do is, is you know, let us in. I mean, that's how simple and easy it is. Uh, again, great program. You don't have to pay anything for that. Uh, we are going to be expanding that a little bit more in the next three years as well. Are you going to be tying that in with um, shifted energy? Great question. So within that area, one of the things that we found, right, is um, a lot of times the hot water heaters are are um, old and um, they're electric based. And what can we really do to help that group if they can't change out their water heater, right? As we we're talking, what else that can be done? So long answer of saying yes, we're we're partnering with Shifted Energy right now. Um, it's part of a pilot. They're, they're, they've installed. They're in the process of installing, I think, 30 units in multifamily um, establishments with us. And they're also providing energy kits along the way. Um, and so that, are you familiar with their technology? So, yeah, I'm going to be doing a podcast with Forrest okay. actually tomorrow. So I'll save it. So I, you, don't need to, yeah, you don't need to talk about the technology, but, yes. but it was very um, timely, I guess, just because I had both of you guys yeah. back to back. So um you and can stay tuned for shifted energy for sure, on the next one. <laughs> technology is exciting. Um, it's great to see a local business, uh, you know, thriving. I think their their technology is really being looked at across the world. So. I know. I saw them on Verge um, really quickly. I was looking them up too. So. Um, Green Biz 350 is my podcast that I just love listening to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But they do, they do, those are the people that do that conference. So pretty cool stuff. Very. And it's coming from Hawaii, which is awesome. Um, anyhow, moving on to, um, I guess, who are the partners? So basically, it's mostly, um, do you have partners outside of just, you know, what you're getting through the funding through the HECO bills and stuff? We do. We don't have a lot on the on the funding side, I'd say a lot of our partners are on, on the implementation side. So yeah, we that's work right. a lot with Blue Planet Foundation. They do a lot of our community outreach and education, teacher, uh, student training, things of that nature. We work a lot with Elemental Accelerator. We work with Kupu and their, their RISE program. Um, we partner with Ulupono. They're, they're one of our funders. 
Um, when we, we rolled out an EV charging station pilot this year for workplaces, Ulupono actually paid, contributed $100,000 to our pilot program. So that's been really fun to do. Well, what exactly was that about? So what we realized was, um, as you look at the landscape of clean transportation, one of the biggest barriers that people have is their inability to charge their vehicle. Uh, yes, yes, please. Okay, raise your I hand, yes. My... Okay. <laughs> so uh. depending where you live, and some people don't live in a single-family residence where they can just plug it in, you're now tied to what public charging is available or retail wherever you go. And so the idea behind this was how do we get more charging stations out into workplaces? Again, with a lot of people are employees at certain places. Well, they can charge their car at work. It's a win-win because one, they can charge a car, right? That's that's important. But two, one of the challenges when you talk to Hawaiian Electric is they have an abundance of solar energy during the day. Yeah, right. But they're trying to figure out how to shift it and move some of that, you know, reduce the demand at night. Well, if we're reducing demand during the day with efficiency, which is a good thing for that business, they're saving money. It's also could be, you know, having some issues for the utility around the, you know, again, this whole PV generation piece. Yeah. So now if we pair that with EV charging stations. Because they're charging their cars at night when right. the peak hours that everybody else is using. Right. Energy. So we now can move that to the day. And the nice part that we didn't, we didn't really see this going in, but as we started to roll out the program, one of the major benefits is why, why uh, employers usually, uh, have a hard time putting EV charging stations in is the electrical infrastructure upgrades that are required. The charging stations themselves aren't super expensive. It's just all the electrical you have to run. And then what you find out sometimes is that your, your breakers and your, you know, your system doesn't have the capacity to have more load. You have oh, to upgrade yeah. the whole system. Mm-hmm. So that's what we found as we went through this. Like in a certain parking garage, if they do a lighting retrofit and convert to LED lights, they brought the load down, and now the circuits have the capacity really? to put the EV charging Really? That much station. of a difference? Wow. Mm-hmm. And how many – so where where is the pilot that you guys have? So we it's open to anybody that's a workplace that's charging. So it's running right now. We have several applications, in, um, but there's a number of, of companies that have already applied or are in the process of, of putting it in. And then what do they, is it a program where they get some kind of rebate? They get a rebate. I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah. If you put in a level two charging station, dual ports, because we want to have as many charging ports as possible, right? You'll get a $5,000 rebate. And that program runs through the end of June. Hmm. If you're retrofitting an existing one that doesn't, you know, it doesn't work or you're just trying to upgrade, uh, I believe our incentive is 3500 So have you worked with Volta on theirs? We've been working with pretty much all, I don't know, maybe not Tesla, but we've been working with pretty much all the different um, charging station groups mm-hmm. uh, in particular aloha charge represents a lot of different uh, brands and whatnot okay. and so we've but we work with all of them. We, we're technology agnostic with with any of our programs with lighting charging stations whatever yeah i saw need. that on your on your website so it's like if you you have all the different vendors listed right. that you can you right. know reach out to if you need any of those services yep. and they can do it for you exactly. that's awesome um when i do get a um a directory together, I will have to reach out to you guys for um, making sure, because my goal is to really put a book together, um, an annual directory on sustainability uh-huh. and have a sector for energy sure. and have everybody be able to be in that book 
for free. Yeah. So you guys have so many contacts that would probably want to be in the right. directory. So I will have to chat with you later on that one. Absolutely. That's great. <laughs> so um, the, others, the other few things that I guess that I wanted to chat about was maybe some of the challenges. What are some of the challenges that you see or maybe foresee in the future with, because I know right now it's like such a win-win, you know, mm -hmm. situation. And um, you said you just sent out your three-year plan, but what kind of hurdles do you guys face? I think, so it, it, I was talking to, <laughs> I was talking to somebody over at uh, UH in their economics school and, and they were sharing that, Energy efficiency is the perfect example of why, even if you have the right price signals, that people do not uh, operate rationally or make rational decisions. I mean, it is a no-brainer for, for you to invest in energy efficiency. But there's a number of reasons why you don't. And those are the barriers, whether it be time, research to figure out what you need to do. Um, in some cases, you don't have the money. It's the access to capital or how you can finance this. Uh, as long as it's just the technical expertise, especially as you get into more complex systems on the business side. What we're seeing now is those challenges and barriers are becoming bigger and greater because we're getting the easy energy efficiency out of the way. We're now going to be celebrating our 10-year anniversary next year. Wow. Congratulations. And thank you. And within that, we're learning that, again, the easy stuff's gone and that we have to dive into like the low-hanging fruit. Low you gotta, fruit. <laughs> gotta retire on the tree and and that's what we're trying to obviously address and those have a lot of barriers let me give you a couple examples uh commercial office space the tenants don't pay the electric bill it's rolled in it's rolled into their cam so they do but they don't pay it as like a, a line amount on the bill gets into it's one meter that comes in from the utility right? it's just like the hotel, right? Sure. You just run your AC and you, right. you pay up one thing for a night and you're going to not care about your energy, although you should. But you, you should, don't. but you don't. And you so, pay for it. Exactly. So the tenants don't have any control or any reward for reducing their bill because it's all blended into the camp. You know? And they don't really they don't really monitor it either because no, it's not on a separate metered system. Right. right. So. so you have that problem. And then you have on the landlord side or the building owner side, they're not necessarily incentivized to invest in the more efficient equipment earlier than the equipment failing because they just pass energy costs on to their tenants. Mm -hmm. So it's called, you know, in the energy efficiency world, it's the mixed, uh, mixed incentive, right? Uh, challenge that we're running into. And so how do we create incentives for building owners and, you know, the commercial office space? Is there financing models where the tenants can share in the savings and share in the cost? We're definitely trying to examine those types of those barriers, and it's the same if you rent if you rent an apartment. It's and the same utilities thing. are included because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. when they are. Yep, and if they're not, but you're not going to buy a new fridge if you're a renter, so you're kind of stuck with the landlord buying Choosing. a new fridge. Yes, right. for and sure. are they going to do it? Probably not for energy reasons. Mm -hmm. It's whatever's cheapest at the time. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so well, the opportunities there. These are real challenges to yeah. overcome. So what are some of the solutions that you guys are moving forward with? Well, there's quite a few. Um, one of the areas that we're going to be focusing a lot more on is technical services. So we realize, again, a lot of the barriers for commercial customers in particular is they don't understand how they're using their energy, how they can save energy, uh, different type of equipment. Is this good? Is this not good? Um, how do I design it? So we're going to be providing a lot more technical assistance. 
over purely just giving out rebates, right? A lot mm -hmm. of what we had done in the past is incentives and rebates. That's one thing. Second, as I mentioned, financing, we're developing a number of programs. We're not actually going to be financiers, but we're going to work with financial institutions. Hopefully, we can find a lot of partners locally, but help drive that marketplace, like package things together and bring it together. Banks, financial institutions, they're used to they're used to vetting through credit risk. Mm -hmm. They know that risk. They don't know the technology risk. And that's the side that we can come and put our good seal of approval and say, this this is going to save X. And therefore, as you're making your decision to loan for this part of the equipment, the it's savings. Your return and, yeah, right. Yeah. So that we're trying to make good. things more turnkey and packaged so that, because right now if a customer comes to us, they'll be like, well, we don't have the money to do that. Like, we'll go talk to XYZ Bank. Right? Yeah, and then they'll probably at least say no. Or, no, or they, don't, they don't do it. It's one more step, right? We get yeah. busy. It's not that people don't have the right intentions. Mm -hmm. more we can package it and make it easier is a common theme that we're doing really across the board. Do you feel that there's any one bank that's uh, very moving forward in, I would say, the sustainable world? Or pushing, or do you guys? I think it's too early for us to know yet. So are you going to just kind of reach out to a lot of the local yes. banks? Yes, we're doing our outreach to all the local banks as well as credit unions. You know, we're going to be doing that as well. I think we're going to look for whoever is going to be interested in seeing this as a new business opportunity. Right. I think there's been a couple of banks that have been really active in the PV residential sector, mm -hmm. and I think our hope is that this shouldn't be too far from what. That those programs were. Yeah. Well, and this would be more on the commercial side too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which, yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting to see how it goes. Right. I'll have to come back and ask you how things are going. How long do you think? A couple years. Well, so, our, our, are you looking our at next like plan next is next a three-year plan. So, I mean, part of this is just getting through a lot of these barriers. Take, take awesome. time. But um, we're excited. Yeah. And um, let's see. What else have I? put down here what kind of things do you do with um the kiki the kids because i know at the end of the day everybody's like god oh, can't get through these you know millennials or gen x you know <laughs> we need to we if we really want to change i think at some point you do need to start with the the youngest to teach them <laughs> yeah so what what is for sure and what we've seen is they're more, the Kiki are more likely to influence their parents' behavior than we are. Mm -hmm. you know, by them having the messaging really drives what we're trying to do. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a quick story, which ties into kind of what we do for Kiki, but it was, it's just so inspiring. Um, there was a group of uh, students at Hanalani schools. Okay. And yes. they became aware of, wow, energy efficiency. We should be doing more of this um, within our school and very entrepreneurial. Um, but also very technical, and their principal or head of school was great. Worked with them to like, okay, let's make this a project. Let's do it. They even created their own engineering firm, and they went through and they did an audit of their school and figured out what they needed to do. Then they got a contractor. The contractor worked with them, and they upgraded the, all of the lighting without, throughout the whole school, and now they're looking for other projects that they can do. But just one of those things where you gave them enough information and they did it all. The students did it all. They're still there. I mean, they're still in high school right now. Um, so to me, that's where, wow, if we could do that in every school, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Uh, but that being said, 
part of what we do in the community is one, we, we're always doing education and training at all of our community outreach events, but specific, specifically for, for children and kids, um, one of the partnerships we have is with uh, a company called NG, and they do professional development training for teachers. It's been approved by the Department of Education along all of the, the NGSS, which is the Next Generation Science Standards, and the other uh, standards that you know the DOE conforms to in terms of education. And they've developed um, a program for teachers that gives students hands-on project-based learning opportunities that are standards aligned. And so this program teaches actually the teachers how do you do it? How do you do these activities? And works with them, they actually do it, and then they they get continuing education credits if they follow all the way through, do this in the classroom, and then come back and report on what they did, and it becomes this repository for other teachers to see, oh, so-and-so teacher did this, and you can do this, because it, it allows for a lot of flexibility and customization. So we feel like reaching the teachers as being a multiplier is really important. Mm -hmm. So is it more in the science side of things, and yeah. then they they teach on this right. to the students do would you say is it more of a like doe on the public or private that's it's, really it's um their program is targeted uh, specifically at the public schools because of it's aligned with the public school standards mm -hmm. but it can be done at, at any school yeah what we find is our other activities with the schools we we work a lot with blue planet foundation okay and they actually have a program where they go into schools and they they actually talk to the students and they they do things and activities with them they have a student energy summit every year and so we work with them to bring the message to students so that's more of a one-off engagement outreach, yeah. yeah an outreach type of thing versus coming from a teacher and codes piece but it's all important right yeah, yeah you need it from every angle mm -hmm. but I guess, what is the percentage of teachers actually implementing once they're taught, oh, this is what you can teach them? Like, sometimes it just doesn't make it to right. the school year or whatnot. Right. Or is there a certain age group that they really bring it in? Or Definitely. I, we, we target, at least the program targets um, kind of that older elementary years, so fourth to sixth grade. But there are things you can do with, with intermediate with high school gets to be a little more complicated in terms of what they need to do for their yeah. standards and graduation. But the, of the teachers that go through the school, I, w I, I can't say all, but a vast majority of them, because they have the continuing education credits associated with that, mm -hmm. will follow through and actually do it. And awesome. so what's really cool about that, as we see, is once they get familiar with it and comfortable with it, a lot of times teachers also change schools. So while you may have one school that's really bought in and another school, maybe not so much, or we just haven't it been able to reach them. somewhere else, hopefully. Right, right, yeah. right. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to see that. The other thing, too, is when I did meet up with you the first time, you were talking about a, a green, I guess, educational piece or training for real estate industry. Right. So, um I guess I didn't know anything about it, but I wanted to learn more. And then I just saw that it was being offered. So I'm going to be taking this course, I think, in awesome. a couple, two or three weeks. Right. A um, couple days long. And I'm happy to um, get my certification on that. But maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what it is. I don't have any right. idea. No, great question. What are you going to be teaching realtors that they should know? I mean, there's a lot they should know, but I mean, when it comes to the green world. Right. Well, so as, as people are making buying decisions, whether it be in the store, around appliances, or if they're buying a home, one of the objectives we're trying to do is just 
raise the bar about energy awareness and literacy. And one of the people, a group of, where do people get their information is what we obviously try to better understand. And when it comes to buying a home, well, you trust your realtor. Your realtor is telling you everything you want to know about the home and probably more, right? Um, <laughs> more than you want to <laughs> And so within that, you know, we're, we're, what we're trying to do is, again, elevate the energy literacy discussion amongst realtors to better understand how energy is used in the home. But more importantly, as there's green home designations, and if we talk about just, again, raising the standards and the bar, if we, if we can raise the whole industry where customers are looking or, you know, people who are home, home buyers are looking to be, I want to make sure I'm in a, in a sustainable green label home, and they're starting to drive in, or, or realtors can go, this is a, I want to appeal to this demographic of buyer to be like, not only does it have all these functions, it also has PV on the roof, which is going to reduce your bill by X. It's got energy efficient appliances that reduce your bill by Y. And then being able to ultimately at some point have that shown on your MLS service and everything else, we can start to drive some decision making around that as well. Now, nobody's solely going to buy their home around their energy usage. We get that. Yeah. That's not their But they're definitely criteria. benefits for it. For sure. Well, right now, just within the industry itself, um, solar is such a huge, huge, um, if it comes with it, if it's leased, if it's not, if it's owned, um, it does weigh a very heavy amount, especially if you're looking at two homes on the leeward side that are identical to each other, right. but then this one has solar. So it's, you know, that one definitely moves much quicker, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and saves you a lot more money. Exactly. So. And, and, and the energy efficient appliances, they're not the same level as solar, but they actually are a big part of your energy usage too, especially if you take that home um, on the other side and you've got air conditioning that's really inefficient and air conditioning that's super efficient. Exactly. That adds up. And, you it know, does. that's a selling point too that we want to try to bring forward through through the discussions. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to take the class and see what it's all about. And I will be your green specialist after. Awesome. I, I would love to be in a, 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 with anything that we do. So are you guys um, helping with the teaching or did you guys kind of educate the teachers that are teaching it? It's, uh, I think the teacher, if I'm, if I'm correct, the teacher teaches this class that we're oh, bringing in. Oh, right? awesome. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm really excited for it. But, um, I think we are coming to a close on everything. Um, I think we know everything, most everything about Hawaii energy so far, except for the three year plan that you guys have in place coming up. Yes. <laughs> um, but we look forward to everything that you guys are doing because, um, I'm glad that we have um, this in place. I think there's a lot more coming down the pike that we'll need to do in other sustainable sectors. So, you know, we kind of need something like this for all our sectors so we can, you know, progress more quickly like we are in energy. So um, thank you so much for what you're doing. And um, I guess that's it about for now. But thank you, Brian. And that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghighi.com. Also follow us on Instagram at, at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii and like us on Facebook. And mahalo until next time. Live smart.